Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle L. Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. Well, we are nearing the end of uh, what I personally kind of feel like has been a long week. We welcome you to Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com. Ray Flowers over there, Kyle Frank right here. And Ray, I say long because, uh, you know, it's only been like four or five days since we last saw football. But I feel like this has been a long wait. Like in the regular season, the weeks never seem this long. But for some reason, leading up to the AFC and the NFC Championship games, it just feels like it's dragged a little more than usual, I think. Well, we don't have games on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to tide you over. <laughs> yeah, I think probably that, correct. Yeah, good point. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, it's fair, too. And, and you know, um, there's kind of a lull, too, in our industry, right? Like, yeah. it's just like we hit the playoffs and it's like people play fantasy in the playoffs. We talk about it on the show. We're involved in leagues. But the participation levels, I don't know, mm-hmm. 15, 20 percent of what it is during the season. Maybe it's less than that, to be honest. So I think they're just a natural... We've done this thing for five or six months. Let's take a breath. Yeah, there's not really much going on. So kind of, we I think we kind of self-perpetuated too, based just on being the industry. I, I think that's exactly what it is. I think sometimes, Ray, we, uh, and I say we, me, maybe Ray, maybe he'll deny this, or even the industry, you kind of become blind to the fact that we do this every day. So we like to think everybody does this every day and everybody does this as a job and everybody gets a reward. Like, you know, Ray and I get paid to talk about this. Not everybody gets paid to, to, to worry about this. So when you commit, you know, 17 weeks, which is a third of the entire year, and I would argue it's probably 20 weeks with prep and drafts and all that, you know, you're, you're getting up to 50% of a year devoted to this, to this world, to this life. I get it, Ray, that when it becomes, you know, January 1st, you kind of say, okay, I'll, t- I'll take a break. You know, I got a life outside of this that isn't driven by talking about fantasy football. Yeah, and it's tough, too, because I, I think that there are, I mean, obviously, if you're in national media or if your team is still going on, right, you're, you're as a beat reporter, you're covering it. But mm-hmm. a lot of people are just kind of, they're floating. Now they're starting to look for the stories about, you know, puppies and donating to charities because they don't have football to talk about. And, you know, even... There's always something going on in the NFL. The NFL always has something to do, but the individual people that are involved, their roles often change in the postseason. And, you know, there's not as much news. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the the only news we have are rumors about interviews. That's seemingly the only news anyone shares about anything anymore. So, yeah, it's it's just a weird time, but it'll it'll pick up here in the next uh, 24 hours and we'll be going and going and going again. And and before we get into the thick of today's show, unfortunately, probably the biggest news in in our world, Ray, is kind of the continuation of what's going on with the NFFC. And and we addressed this a bit yesterday and a a little more information has come out and it's it's not good. You know, it's it's not fun to talk about. Uh, I know these people. Ray knows these people. Uh, Many of you (laughs) probably know these people are participated in their contests, but you know, for those who missed it yesterday or haven't heard the news, I mean, there was, uh, in effect, a, a postseason uh, money fantasy playoff league over at the NFFC, which has been doing this for well over two decades, uh, where it was discovered that, uh, in effect, somebody on the NFFC side was uh, kind of messing around with the league and, uh, in effect, illegally entering and illegally changing lineups and it's kind of been discovered since then, Ray, that maybe this goes deeper than a one-off, which is something that I said yesterday. It's not like people do this once and get caught. It, it, uh, all these things, Ray, I don't care if you're going to the, like the casino, 
Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're going to DraftKings. I don't care where you're going. The horse track. A lot of that is driven by faith in people. A lot of it is. Mm -hmm. And as we know, not everybody can be trusted. And as we know, money is a very uh, powerful addiction for a lot of people. And we've learned over the years that the only way to kind of uh, have a grasp of how deep something can get is to get a lot of regulation. And that's why DraftKings, FanDuel, and the casinos and horse tracks, they're regulated like crazy. And I know, oh, regulation, you know, everybody hates it until they need it. It's like a lawyer, you know, and, and Ray, I, honestly, this, you know, with the NFFC, a lot of it was driven by faith in the process and they had never had anything in 20 plus years that caused a, a, a cut in that faith. There was never any severing of the rope. Unfortunately, there now is, and I'm sure there's probably more to come and it's very, very unfortunate. Um, and there's a lot of people probably angry because they're looking at years earlier where they were in contest with this quote unquote individual who may have been a ghost as much as anything, but you know, Ray, I get it. Money's involved and, and people, uh, certainly have a right to become emotional if they feel that things weren't on the up and up or are on a level playing field. Yeah. And Twitter X, uh, where you can follow me at D Ray flowers is kind of the home base for the NFBC and a lot of their participants. It's kind of the, one of the main ways they all communicate. It just turned out that way over the years. And I spent a lot of time yesterday. I probably spent 20, 30 minutes just reading, you know, responses and stuff. And it seems like a lot of people say, you know, we trust Greg and Tom. It'll be fine. A lot of people are saying, you yeah, know, I'm kind of concerned. And there's another group of people are saying I'm out. Yeah. And that's, you know, in the, in our business now with the way things are going in the fantasy space, something we talked about yesterday, something we've talked about, I've talked about for years you can't be losing 25% of your business. Like it just makes it very tough to stay in business. So we will see how this all plays out. But the, you know, the, 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 the hardest part here is that the trust, you said the trust is eroded yeah. and it's not Greg and Tom, but it's the product. And that's unfortunate. I don't think anyone, Jeff Mann said it on the show on Sirius XM yesterday. I said it on the show yesterday. You said it on the show yesterday. We trust these guys. We play in the event. Like mm-hmm. we trust them. But what else is going on here? And, you know, when you start hearing rumors of other issues coming up, not just this one-off thing that we talked about, there's rumors about week 16 being involved now. Um, it's just it's just a sad day for the sport. It's a sad day for the product. It's a sad day for the guys. And, you know, Jeff said it yesterday. At the end of the day, you're going to lose more than you win. And you need to be a gracious loser. And a lot of people just, they can't accept losing, no matter whether it's for money or not. And they go bonkers bananas when they do. And it just ruins everything that people are involved with, Kyle. Yeah, and and it's probably going to ruin this. I mean, you hate to say that, but I mean, Ray, you were telling me, and you follow this a bit more because of your, you know, acquaintance with, with X and Twitter and kind of the industry a little more than myself. But, you know, this is now being picked up everywhere. It's it's become more of a, a you know, it's not on the front page of the New York Times, but it is getting picked up certainly on the internet and mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a big issue, and it's something that uh, this won't be the the last <laughs> of these things. Um, you know, I think the, the DraftKings and FanDuel, I mean, there's going to be a reckoning at some point with that. Um, and it's, you know, you don't want to say this because it's not the way it should be, but, Ray, you're gambling money, you're wagering money, and a lot of that involves faith in the process. <laughs> and honestly, who knows over the last 50, 60 years? You know, we've got – parameters in place and we've got enforcement and the penalties are supposed to be harsh, but you know, this is going on every, I mean, honestly, who, 
when you have a you know a group of uh, you know for these big businesses and stuff, it takes hundreds, if not thousands, of people. It's really tough to keep an eye on everybody. Let's just say that, and I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not excusing it. It's it's not excused, but it's a fact of life. Is you know they always say we, we I used to deal with this a lot. Um, I covered college sports for a great deal of time, um, and when I was covering the University of Missouri. Uh, they were going through issues on the basketball team. Guys getting in trouble, and are you breaking this rule? This is like under the Quinn Snyder era, and there were a lot of fishy things going on. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, tell me any business that has 50 employees, 100 employees, 500,000. Like, it's impossible to tie everything down. It just is. And that's why the hiring process is so important, um, which has become more difficult <laughs> over the past few years. And, and Ray, uh, sometimes uh, someone can be trustworthy and they become almost too trustworthy. It sounds like this employee at, at the NFFC had been there, what, 20 years, 25 years, a long, long time. And they've all known him and they all you know worked with him, friends with him, everything. And he just chose a wrong path. And Unfortunately, it, it tears down the whole structure that has been built up um, with all the hard work. You know, it's not like Craig and Tom or anybody with the NFC is being backed by Paramount or Netflix. You know, they're not mm-hmm. Amazon. Is Jeffrey Bezos? Is these guys have built this, and um, it, the betrayal is immense. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's it's kind of happening in real time. And I don't know everything. Ray doesn't know everything, but. I, I think, Ray, the idea that people are going to turn into other directions or maybe just drop it all together. That's kind of the big picture here is we know season long, whether it's basketball, football or baseball, Ray, is, is fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, the only thing that keeps them in season long is, is big prizes like this. You know, saying I can pay 500 bucks and I can win 500,000 bucks. That's what people want. And uh, if that disappears, you know, that kind of blows up the whole thing uh for for season long well we'll still have home leagues yeah but i mean my goodness you've you've the number one attractive part of home leagues has perhaps been taken away and I, that's not happening right now but it's something to think about say six months from now uh when signups are being requested again as we get set for another year yeah and i think one of the biggest issues besides my cat yelling in the background which i apologize for um hello dexter he's got a lot to say about this topic too uh the the fact and you mentioned this that this has become a national story right Mm -hmm. like i I was talking to you i saw a cbs random cbs affiliate in texas is tweeting about it Mm -hmm. uh new york post has got articles about it breitbart has got articles about it people are calling for congressional hearings like it's become a big thing because there's a huge hundred thousand no, dollars. They got bigger things to listen to. Of course, of course. <laughs> but you know what it is. Like you get a hundred thousand to hundred and fifty. Like people, I think a lot of people that don't, aren't in our industry or our sphere, right? Mm-hmm. Think that people play fantasy, you know, they get together, they have some beers, they throw a hundred bucks around. I don't think many people realize you could win a hundred thousand dollars doing this. Like yeah. they didn't realize that because they know what gambling is, but fantasy sports is not gambling. There are two separate categories. So Unfortunately, because of the way this has gone down, and I'm not expecting congressional, come on, that's way too, like you said, there's way more important things we got to deal with, but that's the level that some people are going to here. And it is, it's a black eye on the guys. It's a black eye on their, 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 their company. It's a black eye on the sport. And again, we're at a point in time where we're kind of bleeding out a little bit here. We're bleeding out slowly in the fantasy space to have a gash just torn open like this and Mm -hmm. have the national media not really know what they're talking about right? Not necessarily presenting the story the right way. 
how many you know people reading that are going to say, well, I want to play fantasy football next year. Yeah. You know, if you're in it, or any other big big money league, like yeah. you know, you're, you and I are in it. You've been doing it since you were yeah. 14. Who cares? It's just part of you know. We'll deal with it. We'll go through. But some 18 year old kid who you know just starting to look into this is he probably just go play gambling. He'll just go play DFS, right? So I go to the stock market. At least they have the SEC keeping an eye on that, right? Yeah, and I don't, I don't, want, I hate Big Brother. Like I'm yeah. a whole, I'm a free market guy and the whole thing. But you're right. Yeah. If unfortunately this is what happens, you get one or two mm-hmm. of the bad apples that we always talk about. Like you say, there's 50 people, 49 of them are great, one of them's mm-hmm. a, a terrible, and that one person is unfortunately the one that we end up having to focus on. Yeah. Uh, we will leave it for now. Uh, maybe more will come out over the weekend. And as uh, as warranted, um, we, we will address it. And, you know, again, it's it's not something you want to have a whole show about or celebrate or be excited. It's bad for the industry. But um, our goal here has always just kind of been to tell you what's going on, to tell you the truth, whether it makes us look bad or not. And uh, so that's what we're doing to start the things. Let's move on to uh, greater and more exciting things. Uh, let's talk about the weekend. Let's talk about what we've got going on here today on Fantasy Sports Daily. Uh, Ray, we got a lot as we get set for championship weekend. Uh, we're going to visit with Tyler Beaker coming up here in just a few moments. Uh, we've got some injury news. I don't know. Are you worried about this Pacheco thing? He missed practice again yesterday. Uh, I think, no, not. I, we need to see today, right? And, and the more information, but it's I, I, again, you and I've talked about this so many times when it comes to the playoffs, if you, if you're not playing, you're broken, right? So I think he plays the effectiveness piece, I guess in a little bit of question, but I'm, I'm not overly concerned at the moment. No. As noted, we'll talk to Tyler here in just a few seconds, uh, new head coaches in Atlanta and Carolina. Um, I am not a fan of either franchise nor either team, but if I were, I'd probably be slightly underwhelmed. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, everybody's got to start with their first head coaching job. Even Bill Belichick and Vince Lombardi had to get that first head coaching job, and they're not always known immediately when hired. Of course, in Atlanta's case, you've got a guy getting his second head coaching job. So we'll talk about those hires. Uh, We will conclude our roundup of all things wide receivers. It's been a great deal of this week, kind of recapping what went down in 2023 at that position. Uh, Today, we're going to look ahead. We'll talk about the 2024 draft class. We could see... I think it's kind of likely maybe three wide receivers in like the first 10 picks or so. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll sneak in some baseball talk. We'll uh, discuss more on Ray's draft guide. We'll talk about the history of the first round. We will spotlight that article today. And of course, we will continue our spotlight of the catchers talking about the youth. It is a younger position with guys that have already kind of arrived that we're getting excited about. Uh, but there might be a couple of other names that could sneak into our uh, image and into our view, I should say, as we get ready for 2024. So the baseball coming up, but we will start with football and we will begin with our friend, Tyler Beaker, who is hanging out with us on a Friday. Always good to check in with Tyler. And we've been doing this a lot on Fridays. Uh, we have made it to this point where maybe there's only a couple of more Fridays of bothering Tyler, but it's good to bother him on this one as we get set for championship weekend. Tyler, good to see you, sir. How are things going? Things are great. It is 71 degrees here in wow. Virginia. Uh, three days ago, we had snow. So I am <laughs> ecstatic. I've had the window open all morning. That's a great day. Are you still rolling a Josh Gordon uniform in the background? Is that to troll Ray Flowers with that? <laughs> That's it's, awesome. it's one of my favorites. Uh, I got it for like 20 bucks, I believe, a few years ago. You overpaid, Tyler. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you overpaid on that one. Um Let's talk about these games. We'll start with the early one, uh, Baltimore KC. Ray and I were addressing the Pacheco thing. We obviously don't know. I guess we assume he's probably going to be out there. But 
Talk about the importance of him to this offense. You know, it seems like the last three or four years with Kansas City, it's, well, we'll get something from this running back, but nothing elite. Or this guy is a one-year bridge, if you will, to the next guy. Pacheco appears, Tyler, like in the last, you know, six, seven games to have really become much more of a part and a more important piece of this Kansas City offense. For sure, yeah. 15-plus carries in seven of his last eight healthy games. Uh, this is a great way for them to have a chance at actually upsetting the Ravens is by establishing the run and having Pacheco going. Uh, that's a, a, a sneaky place where the um, the Ravens have struggled. Like They're usually a defense that like we think because of, maybe even just last week, Devin Singletary absolutely shut down in the run game. But Pacheco, he's a guy like this Ravens defense is um, allowing the sixth highest yards per carry to opposing running backs. Like you don't think of the the Ravens as that, mm -hmm. but they're giving up 4.47 yards per carry. They're 22nd in rush success rate. They're 16th in EPA per rush. Like this is not a, a top end run defense where the Ravens really succeed is in the past defense. Um, so I imagine we're going to see some struggles for Mahomes. They're probably going to play uh, a lot of ways to like limit explosive plays for him um forcing him to dink and dunk and have long consistent drives which kind of benefits the ravens in terms of them playing small ball limiting possessions uh and playing right into how the way how the ravens want to play we also have weather as a factor like this game has a 70 percent chance of rain so we could see even more carries for pacheco making him a very very important piece of this game Let's talk a little bit more, Tyler, about Mahomes. Um, like you mentioned, Ravens defense, strong against the pass. Uh, are we looking at a 243-yard, 1.6 touchdown game or something like that for Mahomes? There haven't been a lot of big efforts. Is there a scenario where we get a big effort? If we're playing you know, DFS or we're, we're playing you know, some level of fantasy this week, where do you place Mahomes amongst the, the foursome there at the quarterback position? Uh, great question. I'm personally fading as a single-entry player um, be, just because, like you said, the match was very difficult. The... They are. They finished the league uh, number one in multiple categories. I'm just going to list them real quick: points per game, sacks, yards per attempt, takeaways, passing touchdown rate allowed. This was just a very, very good defense across the board. Uh, the loss of left guard Joe Thune, who I believe is a, uh, I think it was DMPs to start the week. I haven't seen any updates yet today. Yeah, very questionable at best, I think. Yeah. Right. He was a PFF's number one highest graded pass blocking guard. So that's actually a significant loss. Um, man, I, I just. I find it a good week to be bearish on Mahomes' outlook, especially given the fantasy potential for guys like Lamar Jackson or for a guy like um, Brock Purdy in the other game. If we look at the the way the Chiefs' offense has had success through the air this, this season, for the most part, it's been Kelsey, and later on, it's been uh, Rasheed Rice. Is there a third piece this week, Tyler? Is there someone that you've looked at the matchups and you said this guy's gonna? going to pop i like what i see here based upon what the ravens bring to the, the field or is it going to be you know 17 targets to those two guys kelsey and rice and that's really how the offense is going to work through the air yeah i imagine it's going to be that way uh these two have been the lead way of how mahomes has been productive this all this, the entire season but mostly ever since like their week uh well i think as a week 12 by or since week 12 on it's been like Rushi Rice, 27% target in the regular season. Kelsey, like a 20 or 22%. We've seen Kelsey get more involved here these last two games in the postseason, but the offense revolves around these two guys. I imagine we could see some more checkdowns for Pacheco, who has really not seen a ton of work. We've seen Mahomes be much more willing to run with the ball, but um, that's kind of just how he operates in the postseason. He kind of saves himself and tends to have higher rushing rates, higher scramble rates, higher design rushes in the postseason. Um, but I imagine some of those options could go down to checkdowns for Pacheco, who hasn't really been involved heavily in the past game, I think, these last two outings. 
Tyler, where's the edge for the Baltimore offense here? I mean, obviously having Lamar Jackson is an edge because he can break off plays and hurt you with his legs. But is there a matchup or a maybe a uh, play calling edge that Baltimore may put into play here against this Kansas City defense? Yeah, they are a team where we want to see them find success on early downs. Like we want Lamar to be in second and manageable, third and manageable. They can consistently gain five to seven yards on the ground, which they easily could. The Chiefs have struggled against the run all season long. And the reason why you don't really see it is because they're most often winning games. Opponents are forced to pass against them. But they rank 32nd in ESPN's run-stop win rate, 28th in EPA per rush, 29th in yards per carry allowed to opposing running backs. This is not a defensive fear on the ground. And the Ravens, they are going to be more than happy to run it with the duo of Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, maybe two to three carries for Dalvin Cook, uh, and quite a few carries for Lamar Jackson. Uh, Lamar, like... 11, 102 last week against the Texans. He was just the second player all season long to put up 100 yards on this Texans run defense, who has was top five and fewest yards per carry allowed. I think Lamar has been saving himself for this postseason. This is not the situation where we're going to see him slide or go out of bounds. This is where we're going to see him make another cut uh, and fight for those additional three to five extra yards, which if he breaks the tackle, that could be 10 to, to 40. Like, you know what I mean? There's such a high upside for Lamar. Uh, the The... The way the Ravens win this game, though, is by running the ball, and I think they're going to do it. They're going to find success. I think they're going to do well. And to that point, you know, for those in DFS or one and done, you know, I'm certainly in this case in my one and done league. I've got both Edwards and Hill available. I I mean, is for most of the season we've leaned Edwards because of the touchdowns, you know, and he's been there since week one. Has it has it changed a lot in the last month with Hill getting more opportunities? Is he maybe more of a consideration than some of us might think to use him this week against Kansas City? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think the injury to Keaton Mitchell really hurt this offense, and we've seen Justice Hill kind of extent to kind of uh, accelerate his usage and touches post injury. Um, Gus Edwards, I mean, he remains a low floor, low ceiling play. Like, what what are we hoping for? Forty five yards and a touchdown? Like, that's really like the best case scenario. But if he doesn't reach the paint, then we're probably left with like single digit performance in terms of fantasy. He's not involved in the pass catching game at all. Justice Hill would be a player I'd much rather lean on. They're they're a little bit closer in terms of usage this last two weeks. Um, Hill especially has a, a far higher upside in the past game. And I mean, we're not going to see Lamar check down frequently, but I'm seeing Justice Hill's receiving prop at like 12 yards. And I'm like, you could fly over that in one, one play. Mm-hmm. Tyler, we've got our uh, staff picks that go up obviously over fantasyguru.com, but share with us your prediction for the game. Who's going to merge victorious? What are your thoughts? Who's going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? You can kind of tell from my tone, but I'm going to go with Baltimore in this game. They are three and a half or four point favorites, depending on where you're looking. They've just been absolutely phenomenal this season. They have 11 wins this season against teams with winning records. Nine of those 11 wins are won by over 14 plus points. That's the most in NFL history. Let's switch to the NFC. Um, we got two things going on here. One, we've got a team traveling across the country. The Lions are obviously going to San Francisco. Uh, and then we've got Jared Goff, who the numbers are amazingly different but he is a different performer at home versus on the road so talk to us about golf and the offense uh with the lions moving across country here to face a niners defense that at least up front is very strong yeah i'm gonna throw out all the home road splits here for jerry goff like we're looking at a 70 degree weather day zero precipitation negligible wind like this is for all intents and purposes an indoor game um, he does enter with a banged up line, like losing left guard Jonah Jackson, center Frank Ragno. We got to look at final injury reports for those guys because that's huge in terms of um, their availability and what that provides for both the passing and the rushing attack specifically. Um, 
this is just not a great matchup for Goff, though, in terms of the defense. Like the 49ers, they're number six in EPA for pass allowed. They're number seven in pass success rate allowed. They've given up, I think, the six fewest fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks. Um, I just don't see a high ceiling from Goff here, to be honest. I, I think it, you can honestly bet the passing under. The way that the Lions are going to win this game or keep it competitive is finding success on the ground. Uh, it, it's kind of a boring path to production, but the Lions have been doing it all season. They're, they're great at it. The 49ers are relatively weaker against the run than the pass. And I think there's a chance that we see Jared Goff just kind of put up a middling outing, kind of not like a need to have it kind of thing, just a, just a fine performance. We all got stabbed in the heart last week uh, when Craig Reynolds scored that one-yard touchdown, uh, Tyler, <laughs> yes. instead of David Montgomery who had scored four straight games. Uh, you mentioned the running attack and how important it's going to be this week for the Lions. Talk to us through your expectations for both Gibbs and Montgomery and what your expectations are. Yeah, again, it's not like a, a layup matchup by any a, a, by any means. Like the 49ers have given up the second fewest rushing yards per game to opposing backs. But again, some of that's really game script dependent, given that the 49ers are frequently playing with a lead. Uh, when we zoom in on the numbers a bit more, they are giving up 4.14 yards per carry to opposing backs. They are giving up a the 27th highest rush success rate to opposing backs. Like this is not a, de- a defense they absolutely fear. They're also top 12 in receiving fantasy points specifically to opposing running backs. So a guy like Jameer Gibbs, who has that explosive playability on both the ground and the run. I mean, we could see some outside runs for Gibbs where he goes for 15, 20 plus yards. We could see the same thing in the passing game as a check down option for, um, for Jared Goff. There's just a path to Jameer Gibbs being a player that I don't think you want to fade on this slate. Tyler Baker uh, with us. He will have his game scripts article out in time for uh, Sunday's kickoffs. Both games, of course, taking place on Sunday. Um, Tyler, on the San Francisco side, we're, we're still in a total limbo with Debo Samuel. Maybe we'll get more clarification. But let's assume, and again, folks, assume, not certain, but let's assume he's out. What's that mean for Ayuk and also, I guess, Jawan Jennings? Like, do these guys really jump up if Samuel's not on the field? I mean, all year long, like we've had like these really stark splits between Ayuk and Debo when we face a man coverage defense or a zone heavy defense. And Ayuk has been the man beater. And that's what the Lions play. They are a very man heavy defense. I've already bet the over on Ayuk's re- receiving prop earlier this year. I bet the over on his longest reception prop. The Detroit Lions are absolutely getting torched on the perimeter, which is where Ayuk runs the majority of his routes. So I'm expecting a big game for Ayuk, whether or not Debo plays. Um, if Debo were to play, I think that. Ayuk's ceiling is still sky high given just the poor matchup. Um, they just allow such big plays on the outside. Um, Juwan Jennings, though, yeah, very, very high floor play option. We saw that last week against the Packers. Uh, happened again earlier in the year whenever Debo missed some time where he was a productive asset in one or two games. But George Kittle has been quietly the far more productive guy whenever Debo's been out. He's averaging like over 19 points for fantasy, 19 fantasy points per game over the last two seasons and games where Debo has missed. And that's over a six game sample. So it's not just like a one or two game where Kittle hits for one or two scores. He's been productive. Uh, so Kittle's a guy that I'm really, really interested in if Debo were to miss. You know, the, the highlight with QBs in terms of the matchup will be the early game. You know, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. This this one is a certain second fiddle, golf against Purdy. And, and you see that in like the DraftKings pricing. Like if you want to go to Mahomes and Jackson, it's well, especially Jackson. I mean, seventy-seven hundred. Mahomes is kind of cheap at sixty-nine, but then you have Golf at sixty-three. You have Purdy at sixty-four. For people who are playing, you know, both games here, the idea of Purdy. I mean, you mentioned Detroit getting torched in man. Um, is is Purdy maybe the sleeper call here for DFS? 
I don't know if he's a sleeper because he's been super underpriced all season long on DraftKings. For some reason, their pricing algorithm has kept him kind of in the mid-range bucket. Despite him leading the league in yards per attempt and passing touchdown rate, I think he's a slam dunk play here for um, any kind of single entry contest, any kind of cash 50-50s. The only reason not to play Purdy is to get different, but I think Purdy is a very, very high floor, high ceiling play, and at his price tag, he allows you to get in the studs elsewhere. Tyler, I'm born and raised in the Barry. I think you know that. So the Niners are obviously my team. I don't call them my team because I don't play for them, but they're my team. <laughs> it sounds like you think they're going to smash the Lions and win this game and make the Super Bowl, right? Give us your prediction for the game. Yes, I do believe the Niners win this game, unfortunately. Uh, I I, I kind of want Detroit to win just for the, the narrative and the storyline. Like, it's been fun to root for Detroit this year, um, seeing them make such a massive turnaround. Uh, but yeah, I think San Francisco just has too many weapons. Uh, their defense should be able to make the Lions one-dimensional at some point, which makes them having to put all the onus and responsibility on Jared Goff, who uh, uh, runs into a, a troubling matchup. Like He leads the league in percentage of throws towards the middle of the field. I want to give a, a nod to Rich Rebar for this stat. Goff leads the league in percentage of throws to the middle of the field, and the 49ers are giving up the lowest QB rating to the middle of the field. So I think we're going to see some struggles there for Goff here once once the, the uh, 49ers build a lead. Incredible breakdown, no doubt. Uh, just here, and and Tyler, I I don't I don't know. I may have sprung the work on you. I, you're doing the the game script Sunday, correct? I should have double checked that, but I I would have oh, got it done. I've got it done. Yeah, oh. we're good to go. <laughs> well, let me in closing then, because I I challenged you with the QBs. This is kind of a rare week where the tight end positions loaded for DFS because mm -hmm. all these teams, you know, like Kelsey, Laporta, Kittle, and then Andrews are likely. Uh, who's your favorite tight end? Does anybody have like a great super matchup as a tight end of these four teams? Yeah, I kind of mentioned it already. It's Kittle, who's the guy that I'm kind of gravitating toward. He's coming off a big outing, four catches, 81 yards and a score, seven targets last week in that game without without Debo. Um, earlier this year, there were two games without Debo. Kittle had 18 targets across that two game span. And over the last six, over the last two years and six games without Debo, he's averaging 19.6 fantasy points per game. This is also a week where I think you can go two tight ends in DFS, mm -hmm. just given the massive gap in fantasy production between like the, the top four or so wide receivers, you can make an argument for five. Um, and like the really like, I want to call them bargain plays at wide out uh, where the tight ends like uh, Sam Laporta or J Travis Kelsey, they just make much more sense in terms of a, a ceiling outcome rather than spending yeah. down at wide out. So be, be cognizant of how you're building your squads. Make sure you always have that last player in the Sunday night in the Sunday night game at 6.30 p.m. Eastern going as your flex. And that way it gives you more outs so you have a lead swap available to you. I apologize. David just chimed in in the chat room, and I think it's something worth thought. You talked about that stat of throwing in the middle of the field. So, okay, let's say golf wants to avoid the middle. For the season, how has he looked when throwing to the sidelines? Does, does he have proficient numbers is it is it a mess or do we have those numbers available well i mean when you think about it like uh amonra st brown and, and sam laporta have been his two primary go-to guys of course like the with laporta and montgomery mostly being um or, i'm sorry and uh st brown i'm sorry <laughs> uh running most of their routes across the middle of the field that's like genuinely where most of his production is going to come from we've yeah. seen hit or miss plays from Jamison williams all year uh josh reynolds has been boomer bust um generally it's because of the way the offense is designed where um first second read then check down like he's not getting to that third read which is often josh reynolds running uncovered um 
for that reason, I think we're probably just going to see some struggles when he does turn to the outside. And the 49ers on the outside, Traverius Ward, PFS number eight cornerback, very, very good in coverage. It's not going to be an easy matchup on the outside. Might just mean a few more dump-offs, perhaps, for Gibbs. Maybe that's the way they'll decide to avoid the uh, middle of the field. Okay, awesome stuff, Tyler. We kept you really long, but, hey, important game. So we wanted to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, really a pleasure, man. Thanks for jumping on board. I didn't get a hold of Tyler till late last night, so good to know he's always checking his email late. Um, I'll probably make use of that again sometime. <laughs> I don't know. Tyler, have a good one, man. Take it easy. You too. Good luck this weekend, guys. You bet. Gonna be fun. Uh, three o'clock for that first game, Kansas City and Baltimore, 6:30 for San Francisco and Detroit. He kind of sold me on the idea, certainly, of San Francisco. I didn't need much selling, right? Um, point, you know, against the spread. I it's tough to have to avoid or to say no to Patrick Mahomes as a three and a half point underdog. I, I think I heard it. He's lost three times in the playoffs. Two of them are to Tom Brady. Okay, greatest playoff quarterback ever. And the other loss was in overtime. So, like, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think he's 14, 15, and three, something like that. Um, I, I think Baltimore's in a good spot. I still struggle, though, with the idea that Baltimore's kind of let us down in years past, Ray. And I guess I'm not a total believer yet in the Ravens. I, well, I think I'd take Kansas City here. Well, yeah, I think it's tough because Ravens are obviously at home. They've got the strong defense. And, you know, Tyler glowingly spoke about Lamar Jackson, which is totally fair, right? But at the end of the day, if Lamar Jackson has to beat you with his arm, can he? Mm-hmm. And that's something we all come back to. And again, no one ever really stops him on the ground. So it never becomes, he never becomes a pocket passer. But, you know, talking about a guy that can't throw outside the, the hash marks, like Lamar still struggles there. Yeah. So, you know, they've got a good defense. They have a good scheme. They got a good coordinator in Kansas City. Can they create enough havoc that they force Lamar to throw the ball differently than he wants to? I think it's tough not to go Ravens. Yeah. But you can create a scenario where they don't win the football game, of course. Yeah, and, and these are hey, it's a, it's the final four teams. It's not like nobody, somebody snuck to the, snuck into this spot. They've been playing for twenty plus weeks. Uh, you know, maybe Detroit isn't someone you expected to be here eight weeks ago, but I don't think anyone doubts they're one of the better teams in the NFC East, and they've proven that throughout the season for the most part. So it'll be fun on Sunday. Uh, always tough to make picks, uh, and it's not saying, oh, this team sucks. None of them suck, but hey, got to make a choice at, at some point. Uh, a couple of other things with the NFL, and then we'll swing it over to baseball. Uh, new coaches, Ray. Atlanta goes Raheem Morris. Carolina goes Dave Canales, uh, who was the OC this year at Tampa. Uh, before that, he'd been with Seattle as their OC for a number of years, but I don't know, a little bit off the radar. You know, we'd heard a lot of other names and Ben Johnson with Detroit and Harbaugh and Belichick and Vrabel and all these guys. Instead, Raheem Morris gets another shot. Um, I think it was three years with Tampa before he was let go as the head coach. And then Dave Canales is uh, brand new to the head coaching job as he takes over in Carolina. He's very calm on the sidelines calling plays. I've noticed that. (laughs) He's holding his arm with his big watch. Um, That one... I mean, I think that, you know, Panthers are the only team that even interviewed him, right? Yep. I don't think he was part of the cycle. Now, that doesn't say anything per se, but I think that, okay, you know, that at least they brought in an offensive mind, which is what they needed I to do. I was just going to say, Ray, don't you kind of feel he came into that interview room and he probably sat there and the whole interview was about turning Bryce Young into the real deal. And he probably came with a plan. Mm-hmm. And if they would have asked him about his – O-line running backs or wide receivers, he probably wouldn't have had anything to say. I, I just feel he sat in that interview, Ray, and sold them on what he can do for Bryce Young. I mean, whether whether Young was the right pick or not, and we made the pick. We got to go. We got to make it work. So, 
yeah, that obviously, and it, we heard this with Kingsbury when they brought him in with Kyler Murray. Like, we got to get Kyler Murray going. We got spent this draft capital. They've got to figure a way to make the offense better. Period. Just period. They, you know, and this is a it's a bad football team that needs a strong hand to lead it and, a, and an offensive mind. So let's let's give Canales a chance. You know, maybe he ends up being the next Mike Shanahan or Scott McVay or Matt Lafleur. Mm-hmm. Like you know, but it it was interesting that the I've seen out of the box that terminology used for him because again, no one else was interested in hiring him. But you know, it goes back to what you were saying yesterday, or maybe it was the other day. Like, you know, you have a good year and people are interested. Like Baker Mayfield has this great year. Let's get his OC. Okay, it's it helped. Well, the, the other thing that helped Ray is uh Dave Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, is quickly ascending the ladder as like one of the more meddlesome guys that so a lot of coaches. Maybe. Maybe they didn't want to deal with it. And maybe Carolina realized that and said, hey, we got to go with a guy who's just wanting a job. Yeah. And hey, no, who who would turn it down? Right. You know, I may sit here and mock ESPN a lot, Ray, and say I'd never watch it. But if they called the day, I'd take the call. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> who's who's going to turn it down right. if it's actually there and available for you? So uh, those jobs taken care of. Let's see. What are we down to? Um, Washington? Washington. And I guess, Ray, that's like a Ben Johnson thing. I don't know. I guess that's because they seem to be waiting. Uh, Vrabel's out there. Right. It's kind of weird to think that Vrabel and Belichick maybe two guys without a gig next season. Yeah. And Vrabel can, you know, go home and sit on his couch and come back next year. Right. And that kind of thing. Maybe he could do TV for a year if he wanted, you know, that kind of thing. Belichick's in his 70s, like you're saying. Will he, would he take a coordinator job? I can't fathom him doing it. I can't. And he's like 20 victories away from the all-time record. So does he take a year off and come back next year? Does he end up being the guy that gets hired in week seven when someone gets fired? How funny would it be if he got a, a TV gig, Ray, and he became like John Madden? Like all of a sudden, Bill Belichick is Mr. Personality. He'd be like, holy cow, listen to this guy. I mean, <laughs> that, that'd be one of the most impressive head fakes in the history of head fakes. Good call. Absolutely. 30 years of being one guy that all of a sudden overnight, it's like, oh, everybody wants to be Bill Belichick's buddy. Look, look how funny he is in the booth. Uh, we shall see. Um, wide receivers. Wrapping up the week, uh, full discussion of wide receivers all week long here on FSD. Um, as usual, Ray, we, we wrap up the position by looking at the upcoming draft class. Next week, by the way, we'll do tight ends. And, and I said this earlier, Ray, um, there's a lot of talent at the top. And we were just talking about Carolina. Oh, they need a receiver, don't they? Well, too bad. They don't have a first-round pick. They traded that to get Bryce Young. So Carolina won't be one of those teams. But, Ray, everywhere I look, I mean, you're looking at three and – occasionally four names very early, but like three in the top 10 year, Marvin Harrison Jr. Out of Ohio state. Uh, yes, he's the son of that Marvin Harrison. Um, probably a top five pick. There's, there's a way he ends up as number one on some draft boards. Uh, Malik neighbors of LSU, uh, Rome Odonze of Washington. You got guys like Brian Thomas Jr. Also of LSU, Keon Coleman, all these guys are first round picks. So we're, we're probably looking at, Five or six. And I was looking at the top of the of the draft, Ray. I mentioned three in the top 10. As I see it, you know, teams drafting in the top 10, Chicago, New England, Arizona, probably the Chargers, the Giants, the Titans. Not to say their only need is wide receiver, but those are all teams that they're going to be tempted to get one of these names, especially the Patriots who are sitting at three, Ray. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're kind of praying that Marvin Harrison Jr. falls to them. Yeah, and obviously it depends upon if there's further movement and what the Bears do and everything. But 
the the Marvin Harrison talk, and we see this in the fantasy space because we're getting questions in Discord over at fantasyguru.com or social media. Like people are trading like four players to get a, the second pick in the draft or the first pick in the draft to try to get Marvin Harrison. Like people are are doing the uh oh, here we go, generational talent thing with Marvin Harrison, right? That's the what we're hearing. Uh, it's the last Marvin Harrison. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I think he's like four inches taller than his dad, which is nice because his dad was a, a diminutive receiver. But um, you know, obviously where you land where you land, what your offense is, who your quarterback is, all these things play into the success it'll have, you know, to start his career. But there are wild expectations in the NFL and even high wilder expectations, I think, in the fantasy space that Marvin Harrison's gonna be one of these guys catching 100 passes for 1,500 yards. So he, I don't know if he fall if he falls to the third pick. I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at, you know, mm-hmm. mocks because I think they're all crap anyway. But <laughs> there's certainly a scenario where he goes one and there is a scenario where he falls to three. Well, and, and here's the thing with New England, right? It's great to get Marvin Harrison Jr. Who the hell's throwing him the football? Um, you know, and that may be the case with Tennessee, with the Giants. Like, man, you get him with Justin Herbert with the Chargers. But the problem there, Ray, is like, L.A. has been investing in receivers. Yeah. You know, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnston, Josh Palmer. Like, they've had guys, and it's not creating a different wins and losses record. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, there's the the appetizer. Wow, Herbert and Marvin Harrison. You know, that's going to be right. great. But we'll, we'll see. But it's it's plenty full. Again, we could have five, six guys going in the first round. Um, so where they land will be critical because if you have Marvin Harrison in New England, Honestly, you got to be less excited than if he's with the Chargers, you know, in the fantasy landscape. So we shall see, uh, but plenty of talent. So wide receivers will be there in the first round, no doubt about that. Uh, speaking of the first round, that leads us to talking baseball. We're doing it each and every day as we get closer and closer to spring training. Again, want to remind everybody that the seasonal coverage, the draft package, all available right now at fantasyguru.com. You see it there at the bottom of the screen. Make sure to use that promo code FSD20 and you will get 20% off the entire season, not just the draft guide, but the entire season. And Ray, we were just talking about first round wide receivers. We like to think that all those guys will be hits. Uh, you know, usually it's about 50, 50 with a position like wide receiver. Uh, that leads us to the first round of fantasy baseball drafts, which uh, you have been following for many, many years where we all like to sit here and say, Hey, this is how it's going to be, man. Here are your 12 or 15 best players. And there's no doubt these guys will finish there. As you have been discussing for many years now, it's not always that easy. I will say last year was pretty good, I think, for the first round. A lot of those guys we drafted early performed very capably, but Ray, historically, our hit rate is not as great as we'd like. Yeah, Baseball HQ started a study, I don't know, 20 years ago, and I used to read about it, and then I said, that's a really good thing for us to review. So then I started doing it myself. Like you said, I've been doing it for years. And, you know, on the screen there, you can see the, the list of the top 15 guys according to ADP last year. And we had, what, seven hits last year, which is remarkable. It's remarkable. Normally, and you can see it there from 2018 to 2022, four, 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 five out of 15. So the last five years, and this goes back about the last 20 years, actually, we have about a 33% chance or success rate, excuse me, a 33% success rate of the top 15 players being drafted, having a fantasy season that produces a top 15 season. Mm-hmm. So, and this is something we've talked about forever and whether all the sports, we talk about this way, way, way too much. Everyone is worried about who they're taking in the first round. 
and the data is irrefutable. You have about a 33% chance of being right with who you take in the first round. It can be injury related. It can be poor performance related. It can be off the field stuff, whatever. But you have about a one in three chance of that top 10, top 15 guy being a top 10 or top 15 guy at the end of the year. So we just spend far too much time and energy worried about this. We should be worried more about building a team. We should worry about the composition of your squad. We should worry more about the guy you're taking in the eighth round, the 10th round, those kind of things. Because history, despite what we saw last season, which was a kind of a yep. standout, history suggests we are just not very good at this. Well, and, and looking at last season specific to it, Ray, you know, even if they didn't finish this first rounder, a lot of these no's did just fine. You know, I, I, maybe they weren't great, but like Jordan Alvarez, I don't know. You know, sure, you would have liked more games, but he was fine. I think Trey Turner had a huge push at the end to save his season. He looked like a monumental bust for about half the year. You know, Jose Ramirez was good. Maybe he, you know, took a dip down. Like, if, if you say, okay, did they finish top 30, top 40? I mean, a lot of these guys were right. still there. Right. Um, and the guys who didn't, I, I don't know. You look at that list, I guess Vlad was the healthiest of the guys that didn't maybe Machado I'm trying to how many games in Machado play last 150 yeah so he was fairly healthy too I mean those of the guys who stayed healthy those are probably the letdown now the question as we move it forward Ray this is what I always like asking mm -hmm. Ray our current top 12 Ray our top mm -hmm. 15 who, who's not going to make it this year because we're already settling in, Ray, to like, these are your top 10 players. You know, it, it happens every year. And, you know, guys who are new this year, Bobby Witt Jr. is way up the board in fantasy circles. Corbin Carroll, way up the board. Uh, top five now for Corbin Carroll. I'm seeing Kyle Tucker, Fernando Tatis, Spencer Strider, which I, I hate that idea. I guess somebody's just wanting a pitcher. Um... Trey Turner and Aaron Judge and Soto, despite the struggles last year, are still there. Like, it, is there a name, Ray, or is there a concern? I mean, some of these guys who missed last year, Ray, it's almost mm -hmm. like who cares because they're right back into the first round this season. Yeah. Uh, number one, I was wrong. Machado played 138 games. Okay. So, he had, yeah. Yeah. Little he did miss yeah. some time. Yeah. Um, what do you notice? I'll answer your question in a second. But what do you and the listeners, followers, notice when they look at that list of the top 15 guys last year? Uh, no How many? No pitchers. There you go. How many pitchers are on that list? <laughs> I knew that. Yeah. No pitchers are on the list, and we had the greatest success rate we've ever had. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That's not to say Spencer Strider can't be a superstar. It's not to tell you that. But if we're playing the odds, don't take Spencer Strider. Yeah. I mean, if we're just playing the odds, just because yeah, again, Garrett Cole, by the way, also in the top 15 this year, yep, two pitchers. Yep, yep. And again, Garrett Cole's been the most consistent upper end pitcher for about five years now. So again, not saying you can't be the number one or two guy. They're, that's how they're ranked over at fantasyguru.com. Like, I get it. But if you're trying to play the odds, they're the most likely ones to not live up to expectations mm -hmm. because obviously they don't get saves, which limits them a little bit. The win total is variable. They could pitch the same way and win 20 games or 15 games. And then there's the injury factor. You know, pitchers get hurt. They tend to miss more time than players when they get hurt because the injuries are more significant or they're more concerning because of they're worried about other injuries being, you know, a result of that. So those guys immediately should be concerns. History also shows us that players that attain first round status for the first time are bad additions the next year. So a guy like Bobby Witt would be Corbin Carroll, historically speaking, would be concerns. Now, I think those two guys are different because I, I think those guys were always predicted to be superstars. They steal bases at an insanely high rate, even with the, the running that we saw uptick last year. So I think they would be safer. 
Uh, I think another guy for me in this group here, Kyle, would be Fernando Tatis. And it's it's really interesting that Tatis, who dealt with so many issues staying on the field last uh, in his career and off the field, was on the field last year. And it's mm-hmm. like a lot of people have just overlooked the fact that he had his worst batting average, he had his worst on-base percentage, and his history suggests strongly that he's not playing another 149 games or whatever the hell it was this year. He's not getting another 600 plate appearances. That's what history says. Yeah, it's it's always difficult. Um, you know, last year, Ray, Trey Turner would have been like, that's safe. That's super safe. You know, we got the new stolen bases rules. He's going to leave the league. And that's how everybody treated it. And man, oh, man, it, it didn't happen. So, like, we even look at this list this year and you say, oh, that guy's safe. That guy's safe. Like, people are going to say, hey, well, Ron Acuna, that's safe. Or Mookie Betts, that's safe. Mm-hmm. Freddie Freeman. Like, Ray, what could be safer than Freddie Freeman? 100%. Really? <laughs> Nothing safer. Kyle Tucker. Like, these guys are super safe, but I, I've stopped saying that, Ray, because super safe means nothing. <laughs> well, but also think about it. In the case of Freeman, perfect example. Freeman, if we're talking about reliability, is an A+. He's elite. He plays every day. He's he's across the board strong. He hits 300. Still 23 bases last year. Like, he, he never had 15 before. Like, and I know the rules are, are better and all that. He's 34 years old, and he's a first baseman. And, you know, that 23 falls back down to 11. We just chopped a whole lot of value off of him. So he could still have a great season and be one of these guys that ends up number 17 or whatever, like we're talking about. So I think it really comes down to what people's goals are in the first round. And for me, as much as it is about getting the production, it's about minimizing risk, which is why you and I have had this discussion for 14 years now. And I've never said take a pitcher in the first round. I think to me, that's just too much risk. Uh, much more in the draft guide on the history of the first round in fantasy baseball. Do check it out. One of dozens of articles that you can uh, hunt down there right now and more and more being released each and every day. Uh, Ray, let's get to the catcher position. We've been talking about it all week. Uh, one thing that we haven't honed in on completely and drilled down to its source is uh, the youth at this position. And it's part of the discussion we've had throughout the week about how catcher is becoming a little more deeper. It's not a vast wasteland with like, you know, three guys you want and then 25 guys you would rather not want. Um, now we're maybe down to eight or nine guys that you're fine with. And I, I've even read, Ray, that some people say, you know what, if, if I had catcher 15 or 16 as my catcher one in a two-catcher league, I, I can survive. And I kind of look at that list, and maybe I wouldn't go that deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't disagree, and this all goes to the youth. It's pretty remarkable, Ray. William Contreras may be the best catcher in fantasy. Some people have him ranked there. Mm-hmm. Um, Rauschman number one or number two, almost everywhere. Yenir Diaz, Kiebert Ruiz, both these guys were catcher ones last year. Uh, Gabe Moreno, Francisco Alvarez, Logan Ohapi, Bo Naylor. I mean, those are three, let's see, three, six, eight dudes, right? All young, you know, in year one or two, in effect. They're probably all top 15, don't you think? I mean, eight very young catchers in the top 15 this year. Yeah, and it's... You know, I think that the catcher position has always been one where, in general, I have said when we've had this discussion in the past, I'm not taking a top five catcher. They're too expensive. I don't want catchers 23 and 24 if I'm in a 12-team league with two catchers. Like, I want to be in the 8 to 15 range. That's a number or zone that we've identified for years now. And if we're in that 8 to 15 zone, according to ADP, and I end up with Gabriel Moreno and Kiba Ruiz, sign me up. Like, and ADP says that's totally doable, right? So – I think that, that it's interesting that that area is one that in the past we've targeted kind of as a good spot. And this year in particular to what you're talking about here, 
There's a ton of youth in that 8 to 15 zone that certainly seems primed to at least be adequate, if not to take a step in 2024. Yeah, if you look at ADP, and these are courtesy of the NFBC, um, I do trust these numbers. Um, there are five catchers in the top 110 overall, five catchers in general. And then, Ray, from about, well, I'd say five catchers in the top 130. Let's just extend it at five. And then from uh, 130 to 170, 10 catchers. They really come hot and heavy. So if you are thinking kind of the way I'm thinking, and it sounds like the way Ray is thinking, you know, in a 12-team league, Ray, you should be able to usually get, you know, 11th through the 15th round, you know, those rounds, it might be the spot to get your two catchers in the two-catcher league. And I've always, in most years in most leagues with two catchers, Ray, I'll get my first catcher maybe in that 13 to 15 range. And then I usually wait until the 20s for that second catcher. Most leagues. This year, Ray, might truly be a year where I think about, I don't know about double tap at the catcher position, but I'm much more likely this season to think about two catchers uh, being selected between, say, round 12 and 16. Yeah, and I think that the double tapping, which is basically two picks in a row uh, at the same position, I think that's extremely intriguing. We're talking 11th, 12th round, 12th, 13th round, and you're on the turn. You've got the first or the last pick, and you want to take both guys there? I, I don't think that depending and, and upon how the team Gray is, you feel good now about your two catchers. You yep. didn't have to pay an exorbitant price yep. to get them. Right. And beyond that, now you're able to get that extra pitcher in round 23 or 24 mm-hmm. to take that shot on a guy who's starting in A or a guy who maybe is the eighth inning dude right now, but you kind of forecast him as a closer. I mean, getting that catcher out of the way, it lets you take, we all love taking those flyers and those long shots late. And it's always a downer Ray when you have to draft a catcher in round 23. It's like, Oh no, I'm feeling the groove of, Mm -hmm. you know, this outfielder who's going to break through this year. And, and this allows those, you know, you feel good now with your two catchers. And again, you're able to uh, kind of throw your weight around later in the draft to get that, that long shot pitcher or whatever position. Yeah, maybe I can get Jeff Manns on the Elite Sports Show to make this about draft pockets and we could talk about the, the catcher <laughs> spot uh, because I think you're, I think there's a lot to this too because number one, you make people in the room nervous and with the way people are, everyone's going to start grabbing catchers if they haven't, right? Because they're going to, oh, I'm going to lose the catch. So then you start, guys start taking players that don't necessarily need to be taken there. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, and this goes back to a point we made earlier this week that you just referenced, you later in the draft is the time to take chances. It's the time for, in my opinion, to be aggressive. We're safe early. We get aggressive later because, you know, you, you took Josh Lowe last year in the 29th round and he goes 2020, right? That's the mm-hmm. kind of thing you're looking for. If you're taking a catcher in the 23rd round, like Kyle said, he's going to hit 258 with 11 home runs. I mean, what's a good season? 271 with 13 home runs. I mean, it doesn't do anything. No one at the catcher position, no one. Very, very unlikely anyone at the catcher position is going to go Mike Piazza. You know, Javi Lopez, it's, it's unlikely they're going to go Yiner Diaz. So you're you're just you're taking a pick to make a pick, which has been the battle that I've always fought myself. Once we get to that point where like 15 of the catchers are off the board, is there a difference between guys 16 and 20? Is there a difference between guys 16 and 23? Like, how long can I push this? Because you have to come to the realization that once you get to a certain level, you're just keeping pace is kind of your hope. You're not really looking at an upside play. And again, it all you're able to do this. You're able to talk this way about the catcher position because of this influx of youth. Right. Last year, Contreras, Rauschman, uh, Diaz, Ruiz, these guys all kind of made the jump. 
Moreno, Alvarez, Ohapi, and Naylor. You know, all solid, cute catcher one, two, whatever, you know, right on that border. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like a lot better about one of those four versus the other three? Is there a guy you have as a favorite, Gabriel Moreno, Francisco Alvarez, Logan Ohapi, or, or Bo Naylor in Cleveland? I think there is some something to be said for what do you need, right? Are you looking for more power or more of an overall game? But I identified this guy last year when he was called up. I talked about him a lot in articles at fantasyguru.com. I think if people were with us last year, they know I'm going to say Gabriel Moreno. Uh, I think that Moreno's hit tool is, it may not be elite, but it's close. It's like on that, you know, 2080 scouting scale. It's at least a 60, if not a 65, maybe even a 70. Like it's a pretty damn good hit tool. And what that basically means, and we've seen this to date, he's played 136 games and he's hit 290. And I think he's a 290 hitter. Like, I think that's legit. I don't think that's, you know, because of his batting average of balls of play or anything crazy. This is who he is. And I think he his issue is he needs to lift the ball, which we see guys start to do as they get older. Um, but I think that he is a 290, 13 to 15 home run guy. And to me, a 290, 13 to 15 home run guy is usually more valuable than a 230 hitter with 21 home runs, usually. Mm-hmm. But again, it depends on your the context of your team. But I'm going Gabriel Moreno. 11th. ADP at the position. <laughs> and Ray, I'm, I'm with you. Not that, you know, Moreno's my favorite, but the guy I got to have. But holy cow, sign me up if I can get him. That's my catcher one. Um, in terms of youth, guys that could be arriving this year, and this will happen. A lot of guys have come in the last year or two. And so now there's a little bit of a lull. Um, a lot of the, the the more exciting catchers are like in single A or they're 20 years old. You know, the, the Harry Davis and in Seattle, Henry Davis, I think it is, um, you know, guys like Ethan Salas, who we brought up. Um, so it's a little thin, Ray. I mean, the Dodgers have a couple of guides, Diego Cartea and Dalton uh, rushing. It's like the Dodgers just get richer. Now they have like four catchers. They don't know what to do <laughs> guys. Uh, so they'll trade one of them, you know, and come out good. Um, Milwaukee, Jefferson Cuero, who was a name that wasn't really at the tip of my tongue, but Almost everywhere I've looked now, he's like one of the top two or three catchers. And, you know, you'd be putting him on the fast track. But Milwaukee, you know, they've got William Contreras. So it's kind of where does he fit? So I know people will draft Salas. And, you know, that's an exciting story. You know, he's like considered a top 10 dude. He's super young and all that. But other than that, Ray, I think there's plenty of depth at the majors to where I'm not like drafting and stashing like we may have with Rauschman a couple of years ago or, you know, even last year, you know, people were taking Ohapi and waiting around on his injury. So our Alvarez was a great case. You know, people drafting him and stashing him. I don't think you have to do that at catcher this year. I think that's fair. Uh, Cartea is the guy, Diego Cartea with the Dodgers is someone that I've talked about and identified. And he's actually on my Dynasty League team. We have like 50 roster spots. He's my catcher, my third catcher. Um, I think that he's intriguing. And, and, you know, there was some expectation that he might even see the majors last year, late in the year. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. He struggled a little bit with the bat at double A, but he showed power. Um, just the overall game, he lost some walks, strikeouts went up a little bit, but he's a young guy, good all around catcher, you know, defensively and all that too. But like you said, he's blocked by Will Smith. And that's a lot of times what we see with these guys is they either transition them to another position if they're a little weak defensively because they want their bat in the lineup or they trade them because all organizations are always looking for catchers, right? So mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think that a lot of the young talent at the position was seen last year. We talked about them last year. We're talking about them right now. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about the guys in the minor leagues at the moment in terms of their uh, effectiveness in 2024 in the fantasy game. 
So that'll be uh, the end of the catcher discussion. I mean, not that we will never talk about catchers again between now and the season. We will, but uh, in terms of the week-long focus, that takes us to the end of the road. Next week, we'll uh, head up the uh, baselines 90 feet to your right and uh, talk about first baseman uh, going into next week. So that'll be a lot of fun. Before we get out of here, a couple of uh, tightening up of loose ends. White Sox named Dylan Cease their opening day starter, so I guess they've kind of given up on trading him, or maybe it's just, you know, Telling people we don't have to trade him. I don't know what that's about. Um, Jock Peterson, Ray, with Arizona. Should we care? One year, about 10 million bucks for Jock Peterson. Yeah. I have a there's a free agent article over at fantasyguru.com where we have a running tabulation of who's you know signed where. It's a free article, anyone can read it. Uh, and my I ran an update this morning. My comment was something like he'll he'll play against right-handed pitching, he'll be fine, and he'll be our bench guy in the mixed league. I mean, it's just you know, he's a guy you turn to if you have the ability. I think, uh, to change your lineup on a daily basis, but nothing to get excited about. Uh, David Robertson added to the Texas bullpen. Um, the only reason I bring that up is we've seen crazier things and him ending up with 20 saves. You know, mm-hmm. it's, something stupid like that could happen. Um, and then Jonathan India. I, I don't know how often people have been following this. We'll certainly talk about it as we get to the infield. But, Ray, the, the Reds, this is, I guess, the uh, other side of being loaded in your prospect mm-hmm. pop pipeline is you don't have enough positions on the field to put all these guys. And all of a sudden, the guy who won the Rookie of the Year two years ago, Jonathan India is kind of without a job. The Reds said uh, he'll have to bounce around. He's not an everyday player. We've got rookies we're going to turn to at third, at short, at second. We got Candelario at first. I mean, Jonathan India. And I guess they – I don't know if they'd like to trade him, Ray. I, I, I tell you this. A guy like India, I'd probably rather keep him. His value isn't very high. He's been injured, beat up. People think he's a bench guy, but I think he'll be important for the Reds because the likelihood that all these guys hit, Ray, and all these guys perform and there's no injury. I think India is kind of important to Cincinnati. And I, I know that the idea is, oh, they got to trade him. Where are you going to play him? As I say, this thing will work out. I think India will be an important piece, at least a guy they're going to have to turn to for probably at least 110 starts this year, I bet, when it's all said and done. I used to make comments about this all the time and you used to say, Ray, slow down here. I would say, what the hell are they doing? Like they're getting all these guys and you're like, Ray, it always works out, right? <laughs> yeah. Someone gets hurt, something happens. Yeah. Uh, I, I, for me, when, when they sign Heimer Candelario, I'm like, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Like what? Cause that someone now can't play. And is Candelario a good major league baseball player? Sure. Is he a difference maker? No. no. Is he appreciably better offensively than India? No. So I, it, it, and India is someone that if you, you know, you, you read about the team, like, He's a leader. Yeah. Like everyone is, is gravitates to him and he's a leader. He's a little bit older, but he's still young, you know, than all the, he's like a leader. On, and to think that we're going to make this guy our, you know, bench guy, we're going to turn this guy into John Birdie is just a weird thing. So yeah. how, you have to look, have we lowered him a couple spots in the rankings yesterday with this news at fantasyguru.com? Cause you, you got to be honest about this, but you know, you look at this team. I mean, I'm looking at fan fan graphs right now, their projections for the team and, you know, Christian Ancanasio strand who, I think most people think can hit 30 home runs in the big leagues. And Jake Fraley, who's a 2015 guy, and he doesn't even play against lefties, they're going to be on the bench when the season starts? Like, that's how deep the Reds are. They they certainly have more than enough on offense, which still makes me wonder if they make a move to add some pitching depth. I don't know. Well, and, and, and Ray, I don't Maybe it's unfair, but, like, you know, it is – Oh, Kyle froze up. He had something per- he had something significant to say about the Reds. It was probably going to be profound. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, but yeah, the, 
Maybe we'll get them back here, but if we don't, uh, the Reds do have pieces to make moves. They have the opportunity to bolster a pitching staff right now that's uh, got some youngsters on the hill, Green, Ashcraft, uh, Abbott. They signed Frankie Montas. Kyle, looks like we've got you back. Yeah. What was the, the devastatingly I, important comment? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was so dead. The internet said, no, you guys need to shut up. But no, I was just going to say, I look at like Will Benson. It's it's like I'm not convinced he's here every day. And things are going to move around. You know, you got Steer playing the infield and the outfield. Mm -hmm. India, he's not a butcher, but he's not much defensively. But I think Ray could get away with him in the outfield occasionally. You know, you got the DH. I, mm -hmm. I, I would just say Cincinnati, unless because no one's going to blow him away with an offer for Jonathan India because people are looking at that and saying you got to trade Jonathan India, and and he's not coming off a great year. I just think it, it's, you hold on to that guy, you don't trade him. Um, things will happen. So just wanted to update again. India's gone from somebody like literally after that rookie year, Ray. I mean, he was like a top seven or eight second baseman in fantasy drafts. Yeah, it was great. It's really early and it's just, it hasn't been a disaster, but it hasn't kept ascending for him. Um, anyway, we'll listen to the internet. Sounds like it's ready to quit on me for the week, Ray. So uh, let's get out of here. Um, everybody enjoy Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Right ups throughout the weekend, uh, leading you up DFS and otherwise. Uh, Ray will have more baseball columns dropping. Uh, check out that guide, folks. It's great reading. Uh, you're going to need something. Remember, after football on Sunday, we have no football for two weeks. So Ray's going to keep you entertained. It's his job for two weeks to talk baseball and to get you fired up for the season. So take advantage of that. Um, again, 20% off with FSD20 on that code. Uh, Ray, we'll talk Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, okay? Looking forward to it, Kyle. Again, everybody have a great weekend. We will see you then at Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com.